You know, during this season between Mother's Day and Father's Day, we've been thinking together as a church about what it means to leave a legacy. And one of the things that's true about leaving a legacy is that it doesn't happen in a hurry, right? I mean, we're not going to leave a legacy with the people who come behind us, whether we're talking about kids or grandkids or other important people in our lives. We're not going to do that overnight or in the matter of a few days or weeks. It's going to be over months and years and even decades that we leave a legacy. And that's true in our spiritual lives as well. Well, it's going to take time to leave a legacy. Now, here's the thing. Because we know we can't do it today or this week and be done with it, sometimes it's easy for us to put that off. To, to make the fact that leaving a legacy takes a long time, that can allow us to procrastinate, to think, I'll do that later. And, and we do that for lots of reasons, right? I mean, one of the things is we think, well, if I'm going to leave a legacy of faith, one of the things that I need to do personally is mature in my faith. Because right now, where I am, I'm not mature enough to really leave a strong legacy of faith to the people who are coming behind me. So I need to grow and then I'll work on passing on that legacy of faith. That's one thing we sometimes do. Sometimes we'll think, well, you know what? I'll find a time in my life when I'm not as busy. When the kids are a little older, the grandkids go to school, I'm not taking care of a parent, I'm out of school, when I retire, all those things. And, And we put it off until we're less busy. But the truth is, we'll always have something to do. Or we sometimes think, I just don't really know how to do this, right? I mean, we've been talking about it over the past few weeks. What does that look like? How do we do it? But we can still think, Surely there's someone who knows how to do this better than I do, so I'm going to let them do it. And we think about all those things, and in the end, what we know is that they're all excuses. Now, it doesn't mean they're not real, that there's not some part of truth in there, but in the end, they are excuses that allow us to excuse ourselves from doing the hard work of leaving a legacy. And the truth is, the time is limited. I mean, we can look at someone in our church. He passed away this week, Bill Hope. Some of you may not have known him as well as our first service crowd, but Bill was 99, left a long legacy of faith and building people up in our church, in our community, as individuals, such a powerful legacy. But even as someone who lived 99 years, time was still limited, and we lost him this week. And we recognize that we won't have forever to do this. So how do we get started on this? What can prompt us to make the decision to start leaving a legacy behind? Today I want us to think about that by looking at another story from the early history of the church. We find that recorded in the book of Acts. And in this story we find people beginning to see the urgency of leaving that legacy. Now, In the book of Acts, one of the interplays that we've been dealing with over the past several weeks in almost every story is the fact that the church began as a religious movement among first century Jews, right? Jesus was a Jew, 12 disciples, all Jews. But as the early Christians began to see, okay, this good news that was prophesied to Israel, that God was going to send a Messiah and bring salvation, what we're recognizing is that this is good news for us, but man, the The appeal of this is beyond just the Jews because forgiveness and grace and eternal life are not just important to us. That's good news for everyone. And so they began to see that this this message of Jesus needed to be shared not just with other Jews, but with non-Jews, with Gentiles. 
And so in Acts chapter 10, the story begins with a Gentile. It all starts in the city of Caesarea, which you might guess was named after Caesar, the Roman emperor, a city renamed for Caesar in honor of him. It was an important city because it was sort of a Gentile enclave in Palestine that's mostly filled with Jews. It was that because the Romans had chosen this city on the coast to be sort of their head of government for Palestine. Now we think Jerusalem, that's the capital. And it was, and it was important to the Jews, that's where the temple was. But for the Romans, the full-time residence of the Roman governor, Caesarea. The place where the Roman army for that area is settled, Caesarea. And so we find a lot of people who are from Rome or from other parts of the empire gathered in this city on the coast, Caesarea Maritima. And one man in particular we notice in Acts chapter 10, a man named Cornelius. A man who is part of the Roman army. In fact, what we might call a non-commissioned officer. We think of centurions being over about 100 people, probably more like 80, but he's a man of authority. A man who represents the Roman Empire to the people of Israel. And yet what we find is that he is unique. Because something of the, the religion of the people of Israel has struck a chord with him. And he's taken notice because this is the way that Luke describes this Gentile centurion member of the Roman army. Acts chapter 10, verse 2. He and all his family or his household, which would include family and servants, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now what that means is Cornelius is still a Gentile, but as a God-fearer, he has started to worship the God of the Israelites. And it says it sort of took hold in his life. It affected the way that he lived. So Cornelius worships God, and then he gives to the poor because he sees that God has commanded that. And he prays regularly because he wants to devote himself to God. So this is a unique individual who is a Gentile, but sees the God of the Jews as the one true God. And so God sent an angel to appear to Cornelius in a dream. And he calls out Cornelius' name, and then this is what happens. Verse 4, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor has, have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So, Cornelius, this God of the Israelites whom you're worshiping has taken notice of you. And he's noticed the prayers that you've been offering, and he's noticed the gifts that you've given to the poor. And God has a message for you. And the man to deliver that message is just down the coast in another seaside village called Joppa. And you need to send somebody after him to bring him back and tell you what I want you to know. I've got a message for you. What's interesting is God had a message, but Peter didn't even know about this message yet. But Cornelius is ready. If God's got a message for him, this God that he's come to know through the Jews, he wants to find out what that message is. So immediately he sends servants to Joppa to find Peter, this man named Simon. It's the same Peter we know, okay, the same apostle, first person to preach the gospel in Acts chapter 2. That Peter, 
He sends people to retrieve Peter and bring him back to hear whatever message it is that God has given to Peter. Now, Peter doesn't know, as I said. And the next day, as those men from Caesarea are coming from Cornelius to Joppa, Peter goes up on the roof of the house he's staying, Simon the Tanner. Now, that makes sense. Okay, if he's on the coast, he goes to the roof, there's a breeze, it's probably cooler. It's warm, though. Simon is hungry. It's noontime. He's tired. And, you know, if, if it's me, and I know I'm hot and tired and hungry, that is probably not the most effective time to pray. But apparently Peter thought different than I did. So he went up there to pray, and he falls into a trance in which God gives him a vision. Now, it's, it's sort of a strange vision. Uh, he's surprised by it. It has the sheet that comes down and, and it opens up and the sheet is filled with all kinds of animals. Four-footed animals, reptiles, birds, all kinds of things. It's clear from that description that, that many of the animals in the sheet are unclean. Now, that was important for the Jews. Because the tradition of the Jews was, we keep ourselves separate. So when Christians began to have this interplay between are we going to tell the Gentiles about Jesus, that's a problem. Because the Old Testament's all about the Jews are God's chosen people. And one of the ways that they show that they're God's chosen people is that they keep themselves separate from everyone else. They eat different food. They don't participate in the worship of the Gentiles. All this was so that they could be clean and pure before God. And if they participated in that food that the Gentiles ate, the worship that they had, that would make them unclean. So we stay away. We're separate. And now, here's all these animals. Peter doesn't know what to do with it. And what's even more surprising is what God says in the dream. Verse 13, then a voice told him, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Now, we hear that and go, okay, whatever. But for Peter, that was shocking. Peter's response is, my whole life I have been part of God's chosen people. And I've done just what God said, which is to keep separate. And I have never eaten anything that would make me unclean. I followed the rules to the letter, and I'm not about to do it now. And then even more surprising than all that is how God follows up in verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And the sheet goes back up. Now, if one time wasn't enough, it happens again. She comes down, all the animals kill and eat. Lord, I don't do that. Don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Happens again, three times in total. And then the sheet goes up, dreams over, and there's Peter. He's sort of waking up. He'd been hungry, waiting for lunch. He has this dream. He wakes up. And then he hears this voice. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him. Now, think about this. If you've been with us through this series, what we've noticed in a number of these messages is the prime character in the story of the book of Acts is not Peter or Paul. It's the Spirit of God. God's Spirit directing His people, directing His church in the way that it should go. And here it is again. The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up 
and go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So the Spirit directs Peter to do exactly what needs to be done. Now, at this point, Peter still doesn't know exactly what's going on. I mean, he may have gone downstairs and there would be a group of men from Jerusalem who want him to come and, and talk about Jesus, but that's not the way it is. It wouldn't have taken him long after he went downstairs to meet these men to find out they're not Jews. They're all Gentiles sent from a Roman centurion and they're asking me to go back with them. And so Peter has a decision to make. In fact, he's got a couple of decisions to make. There's all kinds of reasons not to go, right? I mean, we keep ourselves separate. What if this is a trap? All kinds of things that are dangerous about this. But the Spirit of God created an urgency in him that it was time to go. And so he did. And I have to think about Peter on that journey between Joppa and Caesarea. Wondering, am I really going to do this? For my whole life, I've followed all the rules that God has set before me. I've done my very best to remain ceremonially clean and pure before God. Am I actually going to walk into the home of a Gentile? And they had to be wondering as well, is this Jewish religious leader going to enter the home of a Roman centurion? And what we find is that when they finally get back to Caesarea, Cornelius sort of knew how long it would take his men to go to Joppa and to return. And so at about the time that they should be back, he's, he's gathered a crowd. He's invited everyone he knows that there's a message they need to hear. God has told him that there's something important that he has to say. And so he's gathered the people that are most important to him to hear this message. And Peter's got to make that decision. Am I going in or not? There's all kinds of reasons not to do it. But the Spirit of God created this sense of urgency that it was time to do something new. And so verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Just what God said to him, do not make anything impure that God has made clean. So Peter made that decision and he walked in. And from there on out, he talked about his vision. And he talked about the message of Jesus. And he made it clear that Jesus had fulfilled all these prophecies and that Jesus was the Savior. And in that moment, this moment when when Gentiles are being introduced to the message of Jesus and people are wondering, is this okay? God did something that he doesn't do anywhere else in the book of Acts. Okay? Maybe it happened elsewhere, but we have no record of it. The only time we read this, that before these people made a public commitment to Jesus. Okay? This, this happens a lot, but it's always after. The Spirit of God filled the people in this room. Before we see them follow Jesus, God acted to make it clear that he was at work in this and that this work mattered. And so they're speaking in tongues, they're praising God, and Peter sees all that, and there is no question 
that God is at work. And this is what he's been called to do. And so we go down to verse 47, and this is what Peter says. Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So God is at work, and we have people who choose to follow him because all that Peter was willing to do. And, and don't sort of let that last line be a throwaway. I mean, Peter before this would not have even entered the home of a Gentile. Now they're asking him to stay with them, not just eat their food, but sleep in their bed. It's a whole new experience. And it just strikes me that it would have been really easy for Peter to have said, you know what, I don't want to do this. I, I don't, this is uncomfortable. This, these are people that I've stayed away from. And now God's asking me to do something totally different. But because of the Spirit of God, Peter had an urgency that this message has to be shared. And it changed everything. And it just reminds me that we can make all kinds of excuses. I, I, I named some of them. Making excuses is easy, but saying yes, that changes lives. Saying yes is what allows us to actually leave a legacy. And so when we look in our lives, I mean, we need to check both sides of this, right? We need to look in our lives and see, am I making excuses for not doing this? Whether it's because I'm not good enough or I don't know enough or I don't have enough time, in the end, they're excuses. So am I making excuses that are keeping me from trying to leave a legacy? Peter could have done that. I mean, we can look through the book of Acts and see all kinds of people who could have said, that's uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. And we can say, people out there are better qualified than me. This makes me uncomfortable. I'm not sure what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm not ready for this. We can make excuses. And we need to look in our lives and see if we are. But we also need to choose to act. We need to identify the excuses and say, then say, okay, I'm going to do this. And maybe it's speaking out for Jesus. Maybe it's sharing Jesus. Maybe it's inviting someone to church or kids to VBS or whatever. But choose to act. Choose to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable, even in the face of that discomfort, because the Spirit of God has created a sense of urgency within you that this message of Jesus has got to be shared. And that we've got to pass this on to the next generation of people who have that same responsibility. You know, truth is, you've got a unique group of people that you can influence. No one else can influence the, the same people you can. Our, our circles overlap. But no one in here knows all the people I know, and I don't know all the people that you know from your work and your family and your background. God has positioned you in a unique way to influence the people around you. And the question is, will you do it? Will you leave that legacy of faith with them because you have 
an urgency created by the Spirit of God to share that message. Will you make excuses or will you act? Let's pray together. God, help us to put aside our excuses and allow your spirit to create a sense of urgency within us that calls us to do what it takes to leave a legacy of faith. Help us to speak the right words, to do the right things that you're leading us to do to share the message of Jesus. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.